Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe and others. I'm Christopher and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. Soundington Media! On a pleasant afternoon in 1933, a couple is out for a drive near Loch Ness, a 23-mile freshwater lake in Scotland. The road by the loch has recently been upgraded making it easier for automobiles and other traffic to move easily around it, encouraging folks to take in the scenic view of the lake, the countryside, and the historic Urquhart Castle, visible on one stretch of the western side of the water. The couple is just rounding a bend to begin their drive home when, all of a sudden, a giant creature comes lumbering into the road. The driver slams on his brakes to make way for what he later describes as a most extraordinary form of animal. With a body 25 feet long and 4 feet high, a long, wavy, narrow neck, kind of the shape of an elephant's trunk. It had no limbs, but was somehow crashing through the landscape and over the road to get to the water about 20 yards away. The couple and soon everyone in town were stunned by what they saw. Word quickly spread about the monster, setting off a wave of reporters, tourists, scientists, and big game hunters heading to the lock to try and prove or disprove this creature's existence. Have you heard of this creature before? Do you recognize the name Nessie or Loch Ness Monster? Though this couple's sighting set off modern interest in the beast, stories of water monsters like Nessie have long been a part of Scottish tradition. I'm Elise Parisian, and we'll talk about the great quest to discover if the Loch Ness Monster is fact or fiction on this episode of Unspookable. The Loch Ness Monster is a creature who may or may not live in a lake in Scotland. I have heard of the Loch Ness Monster, and I would describe it as a dinosaur, fish, alligator-looking thing, to be honest. Um, The Loch Ness Monster is a monster that used to be believed lived in the Loch Ness um, Lake in, I'm pretty sure it was Scotland or something, and... It it was supposed to be, like, a giant, um, 30, like, foot-long serpent. And it looks like a water dinosaur. If you travel to Inverness, Scotland, United Kingdom, you'll find all kinds of gift shops and businesses dedicated to the elusive Nessie. If you want to peruse the Nessie merchandise you'll find many stuffed animals that look like gentle green dinosaurs with smiling faces. 
large cartoon eyes and cute flippers. So what happened to the Loch Ness monster? Is this smiling plushie that can be found at so many gift shops really a representation of what people think they saw? Although we may have a charming idea of what Nessie could look like today, one of Nessie's origin stories is actually a pretty creepy folktale. According to Scottish legend, creatures called kelpies, or water horses, are said to dwell in lakes and rivers all over the United Kingdom. They're usually described as part horse, part serpent, and sometimes part human. Often they can change forms at will. Though described as having a horse's head and neck, and sometimes front legs, they're often said to have hooves that are facing the opposite way of what a horses usually look like. Like many other water spirits and mythological creatures, Kelpies are often the subjects of cautionary tales. One power they are said to have is the ability to convince humans, especially children, to climb onto their backs and come for a ride in the water. Once the Kelpie persuades the child to leave the safety of the shore and climb onto its back, the child's hands and feet will stick fast, and they'll be dragged down, down, down into the depths of the water, never to be seen again. In some stories, just a piece of the child might wash ashore, an article of clothing perhaps, or in some cases, a body part. Many scholars of folklore would remind us that scary tales about bodies of water were often something that parents told children to try to keep them safe, to prevent them from getting too curious about going into the water. Have you ever had someone tell you a story to scare you into not doing something? It could be that wicked water spirits like Kelpies were invented for exactly that purpose. But as we've talked about on other episodes of Unspookable, where we're investigating the existence of mythological creatures, such as the dragon or even Bigfoot, it's not like these creatures just pop up in the human imagination out of nowhere. Often people see something they can't quite place, and then let their imaginations do the rest. It is said that as early as 1500 years ago, People living in the Scottish Highlands were making drawings of animals that had long, beak-like muzzles, head spouts, and flippers instead of feet. In one story from 565 AD, St. Columba is traveling to visit the king of the people that lived in the area at the time, known as the Picts. Down by the river Ness, he sees a man being attacked by a strange water beast. He commands the beast back, by invoking the Christian god, and saves the man's life. St. Columba is said to have brought Christianity to this region, so it's possible that the story was simply being used as proof of the miracles that could occur if you followed Christianity. Many Nessie skeptics will point to the fact that this story only seems to have a relationship to the Loch Ness Monster in retrospect. There were plenty of stories about sea monsters and other water creatures from this time that we now know are real species that earlier humans hadn't yet identified or studied. Things like giant squid or whales. You can hear more about this in our Kraken episode. 
While die-hard Nessie believers would point to at least a dozen stories of these more ancient sightings as evidence that the monster has existed for potentially thousands of years, the non-believers would point to the fact that it wasn't really until around the 1930s that eyewitness accounts really took off. After all, St. Columba didn't have the help of dozens of newspaper reporters trying to get the inside scoop on a popular story in order to sell papers to help circulate his claim. But Nessie's story did circulate, all over the world. And where some people would loudly proclaim that this beast is just a ruse to sell tabloids, others will tell you that they know what they saw. More on both sides when we return. A tabloid is, um kind of like a magazine or a newspaper that has big headlines and things like that. So like when you go to the grocery store and on the cover it says two celebrities broke up or something. And a tabloid is something where people can create fake stories. And I think the reason someone would do that and create fake stories is to get more readers and to get people to pay more attention And they tell fake stories to get more money and to gain more readers. I think they might tell, like, unreal-like stories that don't exist because either they want money or they want to send everyone chasing something that doesn't exist to, like, get them famous, basically. The headline in the Inverness Courier read... Strange spectacle on Loch Ness. Aldi McKay recounted what she saw that fateful day while out for a drive. The creature disported itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale, and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron. Soon, however, it disappeared into a boiling mass of foam. Both onlookers confessed that there was something uncanny about the whole thing, for they realized that here was no ordinary denizen of the depths, because, apart from its enormous size, the beast, in taking the final plunge, sent out waves that were big enough to have been caused by a passing steamer. The local newspaper covering the story started a media frenzy, Many widely circulated London newspapers sent reporters to Inverness and other towns near the lock to see what all the fuss was about. Eyewitness accounts skyrocketed, with people calling the monster a whale beast, a sea serpent, and making plenty of speculations about what type of creature it could be, if it was in fact real. The London paper The Daily Mail ran the headline, Monster of Loch Ness is not legend, but a fact. One of the first instances of a paper using the word monster to describe the creature. The Daily Mail was one of the main media outlets to capitalize on the sensation. After all, what could be better for selling papers than helping to create new angles on the story? In December 1933, the Daily Mail paid for celebrity wildlife expert and big game hunter Marmaduke Wetherell to track down the beast. Just as much an actor and entertainer as an expert on anything to do with wildlife, 
Wotherall quickly discovered the footprints of an animal that he estimated to be about 20 feet long. He made a huge deal out of creating plaster casts of the footprints and shipping them off to the London Natural History Museum for analysis. Every step of the way was, of course, covered by the Daily Mail. This potential Nessie evidence sold papers by the boatload and led to boatloads of tourists descending on the towns surrounding the lock. People camped out for days, hoping to see Nessie, but also to see Wetherell or one of the other celebrity monster hunters. Then, in January, the experts in London made a shocking discovery. Those footprints? They belonged to a hippo, potentially made by stamping a stuffed hippo foot into the ground near the lock, or by making an indentation with another heavy object and then adding the characteristic four-toe bumps of a hippopotamus. The faked prints caused outrage. Did Wetherell plant them himself? Did someone else plant them knowing that he would discover them? This incident put a real damper on the Nessie party. The most highly publicized search was a fraud. Did that mean that there was no hope that the creature could be real? For the next 30 years or so, speculation died down. With all but the most fervent Nessie fans waving away reports of sightings as just another hoax. But those most fervent? They refused to give up hope. Even if their sightings were explained away by scientific phenomena. As we talked about in our Ghost Ships episode, the interactions of water, sunlight, and other atmospheric phenomena can create a real trip for the brain. What looks like a large creature breaking the surface for a moment, only to plunge back into the depths like a living submarine, could just be a trick of the wind, or the combination of a boat's wake and well-timed sunlight. Many people also believe that, just like some of the other monsters humans have seen over centuries at sea, Nessie sightings could be real creatures that just aren't fully visible to the spotter. Swimming deer, flocks of ducks, otters, all of these creatures also spend time at the lock. Maybe a hopeful water watcher just thought that they spotted Nessie. After the public got fed up with the Wetherell scandal, it took until about the 1970s for a renewed international interest in Loch Ness to reignite. It was around this time that people began to speculate that the Loch Ness monster could be a creature left over from a prehistoric era. Many point to the group of water-dwelling species from the dinosaur era known as Elasmosaurus. One variety, the Plesiosaur, is a four-flippered marine reptile with a long neck. Paleontologists have discovered fossils of a Plesiosaur in Antarctica that may have been around 35 feet long and weighed as much as 15 tons. In a popular article published in Nature magazine in 1975, Sir Peter Scott and Robert Rines analyzed photographs taken in Loch Ness in 1972. Using strobe flash at a depth of 45 feet, grainy images show what the article's authors suggest is a flipper. While the article itself doesn't make a strong case for the picture being specifically of a plesiosaur, it does advocate for the idea that the creature 
is perhaps a species unto itself, with the writer suggesting its scientific name be Nesiteras rhombotarix. As we get into the more modern era of Nessie exploration, the question remains, what is so fascinating about this one creature in this one lake that could continue to capture the world's attention? Whether or not you believe, you have to admit the staying power of Nessie, right? So like with aliens or dragons, or any of the creatures we talk about here on Unspookable, what makes humans want to believe? More on that after this. I don't think the Loch Ness Monster is real because there's no... Well, there's not really any proof of it. I believe it is real because I have a conspiracy theory of it being just a water dinosaur that could have survived since it's in the water. Yeah, I do believe the Loch Ness Monster existed, like, around when the dinosaurs existed, like, as a water dinosaur or something like that. So I do believe it existed before us. In 1957, Constance White, a local doctor, published a book called More Than a Legend. In it, she collects eyewitness accounts, drawings, and various stories related to the Loch Ness Monster phenomenon. When asked why she wrote the book, despite the scandal a few decades ago, and some people's belief that no reasonable person would subscribe to such hogwash, White replied that she was interested in vindication meaning she wanted to show readers that people of all kinds, from every walk of life, believed in and sometimes had seen Nessie. It wasn't just people who were trying to pull a hoax to sell papers. Many people of integrity had reported honestly what they had seen in Loch Ness, she said. This leads us to think about the hyper-locality of this story. Unlike with unicorns or other magical creatures, Legends about Nessie all start in this one small area of Scotland. Some people would argue that Nessie is so linked to the identity of the surrounding area that local people have every reason to believe. They want to believe, maybe more than anyone else. Think about the place where you live. What makes it unique? Maybe there's no humpbacked creature living in your local waterway, but what can you think of that makes your town or your neighborhoods stand out. It could be as simple as a story about a local supernatural occurrence, or a neighbor locally famous for their antics. The ways that we distinguish where we come from can be as important to our identities as other, more individual characteristics. Could that be something that helps the Nessie story stay alive? As local writer Brian Morton once put it, Many Scots, and even those further away from Nessie's lure, are attracted to hope over probability. It's more fun to believe in something that gives you pride than it is to overanalyze the likelihood that it exists. Other than good old-fashioned hometown pride, the development of modern technologies for studying and protecting wildlife have helped renew interest in Nessie over the years. When Nessie was first entered into the popular imagination in the 1930s, the pictures that were taken via strobe and used in the Nature article in the 1970s would not have been possible. Neither would the sonar experiments conducted in Loch Ness in the 1950s using what was then military-grade technology. The sonar scans of the depths of the lake 
didn't come up with conclusive evidence of monsters, but they did report many unexplained readings of large, moving objects. In 1987, the project titled Operation Deep Scan used 20 boats equipped with sonar to do a more thorough scan. This time, they came up with three unexplainable objects. Most recently, though, scientists have used the attention Nessie attracts to encourage people to want to carefully study and preserve species and the habitats they need to survive. In 2019, a group of researchers announced that there's a possibility the Loch Ness monster sightings could have actually been eel sightings. By analyzing 250 samples of the lake water for DNA, they came up with a list of potential species that could have been spotted. There was a lot of genetic material from eels. And couldn't an eel potentially look like a long-necked creature briefly popping up out of the water? Although, of course, that would have had to have been a pretty big eel to mistake for a 30-foot sea monster. Still, the scientists on the project said they drew attention to the effort it takes to do this work. In their first few weeks of collecting the samples, they generated over 3,000 media stories before they had even found anything. Public interest in studying biodiversity can only be a good thing for not just this particular lock, but for the planet. If you asked Steve Feltham whether or not it's worth it to continue the Nessie search, his answer would probably be a resounding yes. Steve holds the world record for the longest Nessie vigil. He's been full-time at the lock, hoping for proof that the beast lives since 1991. That's right, 1991. More than 10,000 days of monster hunting. Some of us might not get it, but if you love what you do, like Steve does, and it isn't harming anyone, well, shouldn't we all be so lucky? As Steve says, if you have a passion, no matter how harebrained others think it is, then it is worth trying to make it come true. And if that passion is monster hunting, take another page out of Steve's book. And don't go out on the lake alone at night. You never know what you might find. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit. Research done by Michael Grathwall. Produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Bella, and Al. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.
For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100-plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me. <laughs>